Coming soon to a city near you, Vinitaly Roadshow. Have you ever wondered how to attend Vinitaly for free? Are you a wine trade professional interested in a sponsored trip to Vinitaly International Academy or Vinitaly, the wine and spirits exhibition? Coming soon to Princeton, New Jersey, Harlem, New York, and Chinatown in New York City, Cardiff in Wales, London in England, and Roost in Austria. We'll be giving away our new textbook, Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0. Find out more about these exciting events and for details on how to attend, go to liveshop.vinitaly.com. Limited spots available. Sign up now. We'll see you soon. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, and welcome to Voices. This is Cynthia Chaplin, and today I am so very happy to welcome Sene Ozdemir to the show. Sene is a Dutch-Turkish journalist and a women's rights advocate and a two-time award-winning international journalist as well. She founded the women's magazine Sen and has written for and edited so many prominent international magazines, I can't list them all here. She also taught journalism and online publishing at the University of Texas, as well as researching for women and gender studies. Sene is a passionate person about wine, and she founded her PR agency called House of White and Red in 2016, and she followed on by creating the Women in Wine Expo in 2019, the most recent edition of which was held in Georgia in 2022, and the next one will be in London in May this year. So thank you so much for making time to get together with us today and for bearing with us through some little technical hitches. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Cynthia. It's a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure. So before we get into the nitty gritty about the Women in Wine Expo, uh, which I'm very excited to talk about, let's get a little background to your story. I know you were born in Turkey and you live in the Netherlands now and you have a lot of travel in your life, um, which is wonderful post-COVID for all of us. You're a journalist by trade and you're a Muslim woman. So how in the world did you get into wine? What was that journey like for you? How did that happen? Well, thank you. Um for asking me that question, uh, Cynthia, because uh, it's it's a long story, of course, uh, but I will try to make it short. Um, so whenever people, you know, think about Turkey, they also think it's a Muslim country, but many, many people forget that Turkey is a secular country. And um, my father was a secular teacher and um I think a lot of people who know Turkish people have um, grown up in Turkey by secular parents know what I uh, what I mean with that. That means that we really had to separate religion from the state in everything, and the teacher's responsibility was that you know to teach all the. Turkish, uh, you know, uh, young generation that Turkey is a secular country and that you are free to believe in whatever you want to believe. Of course, 98% of, you know, Turkey is, uh, is Muslim, has a Muslim background. But that also means that, um, until I think, um, 
the recent, you know, um, gain of uh, AKP, AK Party. Um, Turkey was really a secular country, and uh, you could see all these things that, you know, that that had to do with religion or that had to do with, you know, the states, uh, the, the, the republic state, but they were, they were separate and people would also really respect each other. It was not, and I know a lot of people would also probably, uh, you know, comment on what I'm saying now is sometimes it was not even uh, something really strange when somebody would pray and, you know, and have, uh, have a glass of wine later. Um, and I'm talking about the Turkish population living at the agency. Um, they have, you know, uh, they are Muslims, but they also have a very strong Greek uh, Christian background. So they are used to, you know, drinking wine and making wine. That is also why, you know, Turkey belongs to one of the uh, one of the regions where wine was initially made. So, and I'm happy that I was born, you know, in a family with secular roots because my father taught me and um, taught, you know, all of his pupils to keep what was, you know, important for me uh, in my religion between me and Allah. And uh, whenever I had questions about my religion, he would be always open to answer them. So I was born in Turkey at the Black Sea, and my father was a teacher, and then he got his invitation uh, to come and teach in the Netherlands. And you have to understand that in 1970s, um, the, the uh, Northwestern country, the Northwest European countries, they had a lot of immigrants coming from Italy, Spain, Turkey, Morocco. And by then, their policy was that these immigrants would go back. They would go back to their countries, to Turkey, to Morocco, to Italy and Spain, because they were only needed temporarily. And there was a European human rights uh, policy also, but also a human right, and especially for children, that they should be taught in their own language because you know children have to be protected so be, uh, so that's why the german and the dutch government had the policy okay we have all these immigrants here their children are um you know they are expected to go back to their country so they also have the right to be taught in their own language and culture so that's why they invited people like my father, who was a teacher, to come and teach in the Netherlands. Um, at a certain point, I was going to a Dutch school, uh, which was a Christian school, with all, you know, these Dutch uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, uh, you know, uh, classmates. And it was a Christian school, so every Friday we would go to church um, to pray. Um, and... I, of course, I was like seven or eight, and I told that uh, to my parents, and my father said, you know, you can just go, and uh, I will arrange that you don't have to pray, you know, they, they can't make you pray there, but you can just go and sit in a church and, 
and 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 be respectful and listen to them. Listen to what, I, is, what is happening. Sene, I think we need a lot more people like your father in the world, um, not only as teachers, but as leaders. It sounds yes. like you had a very um, gifted childhood being brought up by a man who was thoughtful and um, even-handed and open-minded, which is, yes. is something that we really need to appreciate and value more in our world. Yeah. So, so this, this, this experience of growing up this way clearly did not impede you. Your faith well, didn't impede you. You were you were able to do and explore and try all kinds of different things, including praying with your blonde colleagues yes. in Christian school. It, it taught me to be respectful to other people. It taught me to be respectful of what they are eating and drinking. But so also important. It taught, yeah, and it also taught me that, you know, like I say, my father was secular. We were a secular family. My mother would pray five times a day. My my father didn't, but my mother did that. And so I was, and, and then my father had his, you know, teacher friends come over in the weekends and they would celebrate. And there was whiskey. There was, you know, other, you know, cognac, brandy, uh, wine in our house. Uh, and Raki, you know, the Greek, uh, uh, the, the Turkish uh, drink. So I'm, I'm raised uh, like that. And of course, um, you know, you also gain interest in that certain lifestyle. Uh, whenever we went to Istanbul or, you know, go back to our family in Turkey, it was the same. It was, and people would just live side by side and respect each other. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm, you know, I, I, I experienced that part of Turkey. And whenever I read that, you know, that lifestyle is diminishing in Turkey, it, yeah, I feel ache. I, it hurts. because Absolutely. I, yeah. I ache and fear. Uh, yeah. I, it sounds as though I, I, it were probably very similar in age. Uh, you were growing up in the, in the 70s. Um, your your childhood was really kind of a, a very brief bubble in time between uh, more strict uh, views of how people should behave before and and then again now heading that way again in so many places in the world. So it you it's it's very clear why you became the woman you became um, having that kind of open-minded parental background and exposure to so many different things with no judgment so lucky you yes, <laughs> yes I do feel lucky right. well it it turns out that of course you know you are also now well known for your own advocacy about the importance of open and free speech and freedom of the media it sounds like it's very clear that that came from growing up at your father's knee and and no judgment on you know, people's views and people's religion. Um, and you, you've spoken out a lot about hate speech and fake news and propaganda. So what was the connection for you between sort of your career in journalism, your life there, and, and your campaigning for women's rights in the wine sector where you've sort of moved into today? I mean, I can see, I love the history um, of your Turkish background and the history of, of wine there, even though you were growing up in the Netherlands, um, but with a teacher for a father, you you were really at this very rich cultural vein as a child. So how did you move from your journalism into your campaign for women's rights in the wine sector? Where did that come from? Yeah, well, it was it was really naturally. It, it, uh, it was organically. Um, so 
um, I, you know, I started in my uh, in my television career when I was twenty three, and um, I I have been in the media since then, and I know a lot about media. You know, um, and and I started as a TV presenter and as a TV producer. And uh, that was that was huge because I had a lot of responsibilities, and people also saw that responsibility in me. Um, I was the first Turkish TV presenter in Europe, um, working for a large uh, Dutch broadcasting organization. So that meant that a lot of you know uh, women with a Mediterranean background would you know uh, write me letters. We didn't have email then, but they would write me letters. They would say, hey, you know, I see you on TV, you're my role model, you're this, you're that. And um, so I, 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 I was given that responsibility to be a role model. Uh, but I also saw that with my father. He was role model, too, as a teacher of the Turkish community in the Netherlands. And what I've always, you know, um, seen is that you always have to fight for, uh, you know, uh, or, or against injustice. Uh, injustice is bad. That's what I've been taught. And injustice, you know, with uh, gender, you know, with gender or, you know, with uh, uh, background or with race. That's I, I think what we should, I've been doing. We should all get that on a T-shirt. Injustice is bad. You're yes. absolutely right. It's just that simple. You're just yeah. you're right. you so, know, it, it it started really early, you know, when I was like 10, 12, I saw that, you know, injustice was bad. And that was also what because we were speaking at home uh, about it. So when I started in TV, you know, all these women uh, you know, uh, sending me letters about uh, how they, you know, wanted to work on their career or get, you know, get rid of their bad husband or whatever. Um, I, I, I would, you know, write them back, but I felt that, um, that role so much more when, uh, when I was asked to write pieces, you know, opinion pieces. Uh, so it was big news when I started my media career in the Netherlands and then I picked it up. I, I could handle it. That's, you know, I was lucky to handle it, to be able to handle it. Because I had a very, you know, solid uh, foundation with, you know, parents like that, and uh, and then I, I was like, you know, this is my mo- this is my responsibility, and then it doesn't, um, it it doesn't, you, you don't need to, you know, uh, be highly intelligent to, uh, you know, see that I'm doing that also with the women in wine sector. Uh, my wine journey started in Austin when I started teaching at the you know School of Journalism at the University of Texas. I was invited to come there and teach how to publish online and make money, uh, you know, publishing online. So I went there with my nine-year-old boy, and um, I want you know I, I I love food, I love wine, and I love Turkish wine, and I couldn't get any so. As a journalist, I was really surprised. Why wouldn't I get any Turkish wine if, you know, wine was, if, if, if you know, the wine has started here? 
Oh, uh, now in Texas, I can I, I could go into why you couldn't get any Turkish wine there, but we'll just let you carry on. Well, and, and you know, Texas and um, many people are looking at New York or California when it comes to you know wine in in the U.S. But Texas is probably one of the largest wine importers uh, states uh, in uh, in the U.S. So. If so, some state had to have, you know, Turkish wine, they should have it in Texas. And I could find, but in Houston, not in Austin. So I had to drive four hours and then I had to drive four hours back because I really wanted my Texan friends to enjoy the Turkish wine. Um, and, and I of did. of course, in the days before e-commerce, they didn't bring it to you back then. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And, uh, and, but I, but I was surprised, and then I was happy that I could find this Houston importer. And um, so that made me think. I was like, ah, hmm, what is happening now? And what is my role in this? So I went to Turkey. I, um, you know, made appointments with Turkish wine producers to just just to chat with them. And and then, you know, I I, I, I got intrigued more and more when I met a lot of Turkish women in wine. And that was a story that I also didn't know. Aha, here's the aha moment. You met yes. the Turkish women winemakers, of which there can't be all that many. How many are there? Turkish women in wine. Well, you, you know, you will be really surprised when I say that, of course, I don't have the data because we, we don't have the data in Turkey. No, uh, unfortunately. But, but I think uh, Turkey is one of the countries where probably half of the winemakers are women. Wow, 50%. Yes. That's amazing. Yes, I think so. And um, it um, and and t- Turkey has a very interesting story because it is some some elitist thing, you know, wine. Um, I live in Italy, Sene. I know about uh, <laughs> I know about elitist wine. Believe me. <laughs> yes, so it, it's the same in Turkey. So you can guess that you know all the the, the major wine producers are you know uh, the the more prominent elitist families that you know um, made these wines for the elite um, for the elite Turkish people. Um, and then you know they hand over the the property to their children, and uh, and if it's a if it's a daughter, the daughter gets it. So it's it's a it's a it's a circle uh, that you uh, enter uh, into, and now you also see uh, a lot of boutique winemakers uh, who have had their career in you know in other uh, parts of the world like U.S. or Europe. They made money there and then they come back to Turkey uh, where they want to retire or ha- they have a passion for wine or they want to develop, you know, some land uh, into uh, into wonderful grapes. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's an elitist thing uh, to do. So this this sounds like, you know, as I said, this was your aha moment. You met these women making wine in Turkey and sort of bucking the elitist um, kind of structure in, in wine in Turkey at that point. So is that what gave you the idea of starting the Women in Wine Expo? I mean, it's not every day that you wake up and say, hmm, I'm going to organize an international conference. You know, what, no. <laughs> what, what made you decide that this was the right step and the appropriate next step to um, support the yeah. Turkish women winemakers? Yeah, well, 
first of all, I'm I'm a doer. I'm I'm really you know I, I'm I'm a practical person. Uh, when uh, when I see something, when I read something, I'm like, huh, how does that go? What can I do about it? And you know, how can I use my role to um, uh, to 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 improve it? And um, one of the struggles, of course, the Turkish winemakers have is that they can't promote their wine in Turkey. There's a law that prohibits their, you know, uh, the, the promotion of their wine. And uh, and I was I like, I did well, not know that. What's, what's oh yeah, it's it it uh, in in Holland we have a saying: it breaks their neck. That that mm-hmm. is what they're you know what um, w- what the winemakers are st- struggling with. They can't promote wine in Turkey, and um, that law started in 2013 when I was doing my investigation uh, in the wine industry. So I talked to all these winemakers and I said, "Well, I am in the Netherlands, and you know I am you know uh, attached to Dutch law and the European law." So let's try how, uh, you know, let, let, let's, let's see how I can try to promote Turkish wines, which I did. And I, I always believe in doing things to be able to understand, uh, how it works. Um, so I, um, so I was like, okay, what do I do to import Turkish wines into the Benelux? Um, and I did that. I started importing. Um, three brands, high-end brands from Turkey into the Benelux. And you have to understand that while I was doing all this research and traveling, a lot of people that I know were asking like, hey, where did you go? What did you do? And, you know, what is this again? So I started talking about Turkish wines a lot in Texas, in the Netherlands, and in Turkey. And then they also wanted to try it. So I started Importing these wines to the Benelux, and then I created a lot of wine tastings with these high-end Turkish wines uh, for embassies and diplomats. Um, and then I started writing about it. And then I met a lot of other women in wine from other parts of the world. And they would say, oh, I want to meet these Turkish women. I want to meet these you know, Dutch women and Belgian women and, and Texas women. And then I was like, Okay, let's see how we can, you know, uh, how how we can get together. That okay. is the idea of the Women in Wine Expo. Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. I love it. Well, I want to meet these Turkish women. I'm very excited about this. Uh, well, let's talk about the expo. Uh, as I said before, you know, I was so disappointed last year not to be able to attend in Georgia, but you still had a really good turnout, uh, despite all the challenges of COVID and the war um, in Ukraine. So who attended? Who are your who are your attendees and, and what are the hot topics? What are you discussing in your you know sessions? Yeah. So what we try to do with the Women in Wine Expo is really connecting women in wine from East to, you know, uh, women in wine in, in, in the West. And I have a, spe- a special reason to do that because, you know, 
all these women are making wine and they want to export it. They want to be connected to the women who want to buy it or who can promote it for them. So they have to meet each other. And um, so that, that is our main mission. Next to that, we also want to make, uh, we, we also want to hear their stories. What are what are what are the problems of you know women in Hungary? What are the problems of uh, women in Turkey? What are the problems of women in Belgium? Because we're we're you know we're not only talking about problems in you know the the cradle of wine or you know uh, other parts of of the world, but also you know in Europe we're facing a lot of problems. No, you're completely right. I mean the, yeah. the challenges in terms of gender equality for women in wine are you know still rife throughout our industry, not you know, just in what we would call sort of lesser known wine regions. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, but also like a winemaker in Belgium. Uh, I know, uh, you know, a woman winemaker, she's she's from Holland, but she lives uh, in Dinant. Uh, and, you know, one of the uh, biggest problems in Belgium is the, um, the French uh, speaking, you know, uh, Wallonia and the Flemish speaking. Uh, so they are also facing a lot of, you know, for their country problems. And um, it's nice to get all these women facing with their own issues together. And that also makes you so much more creative, so much more productive. It brings you uh, ideas. And many, many women, you know, they're very busy with their daily life. They, you know, they, they try to make, you know, of course, wine. They try to educate themselves. But it also helps to just create a platform. And where the they network. Can yes, absolutely. Where so, they can talk to people experiencing the same things they are experiencing, I imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. And then you, ha- you have to visit it. You have to visit the country to understand what the problem is. I visited Georgia two times before the expo t- t- took place. And then you understand what's happening. You know, it, 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 it is really under Russian uh, power. It is still feeling, you know, the, the the Russian power and the Russian connection. And of course, it's bordered to Russia. And when we plan to have the Women in Wine Expo there, you know, people, yeah, of course, they're right to be scared because Russia is not far. But I feel that we shouldn't let them down. We should be there to to show them that we're there, that they're not alone. And um, so we did that. And, uh, of course, we worked together with organizations that know the field, that know the women, uh, you know, to to create a support base so that you can, you know, have a good conference. Um, so that's what we did at the Women in Wine Expo. And then we had, I, I believe, like 76 women coming from, I believe, like 16 countries. And, and they... Yeah, it, it's it's a three day event. They brought their wines from their country. They shared it with you know the Georgian women. Uh, on the third day, the Georgian women could you know uh, have their own uh, wines tasted. We discussed about topics that are important to discuss. Um, many women that I am speaking in the countries are trying to form some organization, like a woman in one organization. Um, 
But some countries are ahead of that, like Venissima in Germany is the oldest women in wine organization in the world. Yes. And then we have La Donna del Vino, of course, in Italy. Yes. So we can share, you know, all our knowledge, knowledge uh, with these women who are trying to be to form an organization in their country. And that is also, you know, that that is also what I'm really proud of uh, with the Women in Wine Expo. I'm I'm proud when even you know the um the women in wine from New, New Jersey uh are saying you inspired us to come together to form a network to form an organization. I think and, that's one of the best things that women do. Get a room full of women who are like-minded and ambitious and you know focused on what they're doing and they will be creative and supportive and they will walk away from the conference carrying a network carrying a piece of it with them it's not just over because the three days have ended they're taking they're taking something away that's really valuable that they can continue to grow so i think that the expo you know, is cynthia, doing something amazing yeah you know cynthia what always counts in this you know in this world in this society is numbers so if you come with numbers you know with significant numbers saying all these women want change then there has to come change. But if you say, oh, like two, three women are, you know, complaining about, no, we just have to make numbers. That's why it's good to form an organization because then you, you can say, oh, you know, the New Jersey group has now 220 members. Uh, the Women in Wine Expo has now this number. The, the, the Women in Wine Industry in Georgia has now so many members because that is how you create change. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't know. think that, uh, you know, complaining is is not what women in these sorts of organizations tend to do. They they actively do get things done. Um, and I think I think you're sorry. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think you're completely right. You know, two women complaining is not um, going to make enough noise in the world. And if you get a bunch of smart, driven women, uh, they will make a lot of very serious noise and, and suddenly become you know, able to, to affect change. You're completely right about that. So Absolutely. So that's what I'm trying to, to create also like, okay. And, and, and the women in wine expo is the only global women in wine organization. There are of course, a lot of women in wine organized in the country, but there are no women in wine organization that connect globally. And yep. that's what I'm trying to do. And it's interesting too. I think we're overlooking another side of this that, you know, I judge a wine competition in Paris every year called Feminalese, where all the judges are women. And also um Women in Wine Spirits Awards in London, where all the yeah. judges are women. And it is quite interesting how a room full of women with no men to um break up the conversation can achieve things in a in a space where they feel safe and heard um, and effective yes. so it's you know I, I think it's not about excluding men it's about exalting women yes and uh, well, then I have a question for you what is it what is it that makes us so much more comfortable in a room with women oh my goodness, we're not going down that street today. We don't have time. <laughs> I think that's that's a very long conversation for another day. But I, I do think it's important to acknowledge that um, groups of women, especially women who share the same occupation um, or the same intellectual interests, um, do tend to succeed when they aren't hampered by 
you know, the interference of men. Yes. And, and yes. interference can be well meant. Uh, it doesn't have to be all nefarious. But um, yeah, at this point in time, I think we're, we're watching this happen in places around the world where uh, women are more successful in achieving their goals, oftentimes when there's not interference from men. So it's an interesting topic. I, I have four daughters, so it's a topic that is oh, wow. my heart. <laughs> Um, but I'm I'm very much looking forward to the third edition of the expo now, and it's on deck for May this year. Yes, uh, and it'll be in London. So, what are your goals for this third expo this year? What topics are you going to address at the conference, and what activities are surrounding it? What what kind of turnout are you hoping for? You must be excited because we're in a different place in the world than we were last year. Yes, absolutely, and that is also the concept of the Women in One Expo. One year we want to do it, you know, in the in the regions where they buy wines, you know, they and, and they know how to make wine and they know how to educate people, and then the the uh, the other year we want to go to a region that we don't know much about, that we don't didn't read much about. It's so a good balance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Rotterdam and Brussels were very uh, um, interesting to start uh, the Women in Wine Expo because uh, Rotterdam is the logistics hub. Every wine that comes from America, you know, North and South America or even South Africa comes through Rotterdam, which is, you know, the largest. It has been the world port city for decades. Um, And then it goes to Germany, Austria through the Rhine. So. Rotterdam, where I live, is very important for wine logistics. And then Brussels, is, of course, is the capital of Europe. So I thought, you know, these women should really, you know, get to know Europe a little bit better. And um, and Brussels uh, and Belgium is also one of the largest uh, wine importers, uh, wine importing countries. So that was very interesting. And then we went to Georgia, the cradle of wine. I think every wine professional... It doesn't have to be a woman. But every wine professional should be, you know, should have gone there to see. I completely agree. Yeah. So that's why we wanted to do it in Georgia. But of course, also because, you know, I want these women uh, to, to have their voices heard. And now we're going back to West, to the West, which is London. London has been, of course, the wine trade hub for centuries since, I think, 1300. And it's um, it's the financial capital of the world, competing with New York. And uh, and what is also interesting about the UK is that it's it's since I think twenty twenty five years, it's started uh, to become a you know wine making region. They are making one of the best sparkling wines in the world now. One of the very few benefits of climate change. Y- yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, so it's it's also very interesting to to see to to learn about the UK what they what are they doing how are they going to you know um, to, to 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 do that and um, London is of course great I love London um, so you know we we want to create an event where people get to know London or you know and they like London, that they can you know explore London more. Uh, but we are going to start with a very nice meet, greet, and dance night in a uh, in a in an original English pub. And uh, the next day we're going to visit Kent, uh, which is the Garden of England. 
And I had a wonderful um, Methodo Classico sparkling wine from Kent on New Year's Eve this year. Oh, really? Absolutely. So uh, very so exciting to spend time there. It was it was from the Royal Collection. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was the Queen's Jubilee wine, um, which I hadn't been able to ship to Italy. So I had someone hold on to it for me. And I happened to be there on New Year's Eve unplanned and was able to share it with one of my daughters. And it exceeded my expectations. So I'm very excited about the opportunities that climate change yes. is giving us yes. in the south of England. I can yeah. even see Pinot Noir eventually doing well there. Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, all day, you know, the second day is going to be all day in Kent uh, at Belfer Winery, which is which has a beautiful view, but also the perfect location to uh, undergo two masterclasses, which is a masterclass about sparkling wines. And we're now trying to arrange a masterclass about cider. Uh, oh, fantastic. Uh, yeah. Very interesting. Cider is is so up and coming in the alcoholic beverage sector. Yeah, yeah. And um, and then the, the the third day is going to be all about conference, about speaking discussions. We we have uh, several speakers coming over from New York and Germany um, and the UK about wine trade. So women leaders in the wine trade are going to speak. Um, we are also talking to women in India. You know, UK of course has a very strong history and connection with India. And a lot of people are focused on China as an emerging wine region. But I think, you know, India has uh, has has a good potential. Absolutely. Uh, there are some and, Italians who are starting or or collaborating with vineyards in in, in India now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 of course the rise of Indian women in wine. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Sonal Holland, you know, the first master of wine in India. She's doing so great, you know, teaching. Uh, you know, she has her own wine school, her, her own TV show, but she's teaching the Indians also about wine. And of course, you know, Amrita Singh, who is now in Bordeaux, she left everything in, in India to teach, to, to educate herself and become the second master of wine. Um, and of course, you know, we have also the women in, in the UK, uh, Indian women uh, le- uh, in wine leaders. Um, we will be discussing also uh, wine tourism. I think that is always a very uh, good subject. That Especially now that we can all eating. travel again. Yes, yes. Um, and of course, we're going to taste. We're going to taste. But what we're going to taste, I'm not going to tell you yet. No, that would be giving too much away. <laughs> well, this has been so positive and so um, enlightening. I'm I'm so glad I've been able to talk to you today. And before I let you go, I, I know obviously how much you love Turkish wines. And I also happen to know you love a good Sancerre, which I agree mm-hmm. with. Um, but I just have to ask you, since we're on the Italian wine podcast, what is your favorite Italian wine? And which Turkish wines do you think are the most similar to Italian wines? Like what what Ita- what Turkish wine should I buy this week? Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So when I started importing uh, Turkish brands, um, uh, so Ula is one of the brands that I have here, and um, they they make blends, and most of them are Italian grape varieties. So I uh-huh. have. Very Ula. interesting. Yes, I have Ola Nexus, and uh, which is from Melo, 
Cabernet Franc and Nero d'Avola. Ah, okay. Yes. And uh, that is one of the most popular wines. It's it's really good. And if you like, do you like meat? Yes, absolutely. Oh, oh well. And I you, like Nero d'Avola, so this is very exciting. Yes. So the Ula Nexus, I would recommend for a very good, you know, nice uh, red Turkish wine. Um, if you were going to drink Italian, what would you drink? Well, you know, I was in Ischia. Oh, I and, love Ischia. The little uh, island in the Bay uh, of Naples. How lovely. Oh, my God. You know, I was like, is there heaven? Yes, there is heaven. And it, it's called Ischia. And I went there and and my, um, my friends from Texas, they had rented two months um, a perfect, you know, apartment um, overlooking, you know, Capri and Vesuvius. Uh, every day we, you know, we woke up with the sea, um, view and, and Ischia, um, uh, Ischia's, the, the island's main dish is rabbit. Yes. Uh, yes. So we Googled and we were like, where we, can we get, you know, the best rabbit? Because I love meat too. And so we found this wonderful restaurant. Um, I think it was Cantinando, Ca- Ca- Cantinando. And there, this, you know, uh, one of the, uh, the owner, the, the lady, she recommended us, um, the Pera Palumo. I don't know if I say yes, it well. Yes, Pera Palumo. Yes. Oh, it's a, it's oh a red grape. Uh, for, for our listeners who don't know, Ischia, the island of Ischia in the Bay of Naples was the first permanent Greek settlement. Uh, way back thousands of years ago. And so the grapes that are on Ischia are some of the most you know, ancient varieties that we have in Italy. And Perapalumo, yes, it's wonderful. Yeah, P- Piedroso, Piedroso. Piediroso, Piediroso yeah. is, a, yes, is the grape. And it's talking about Piediroso means a red foot. So the little stem that attaches the bunch of grapes to the vine is actually red. So that's why they call yeah, it Piediroso. because of the pigeons, because of the birds, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I love that story. And and later, you know, with the earthquake in Ischia, I was I was so you know uh, sad. So I I reached out to them. I was like, "Is you know, are you okay?" And uh, they had to close the the restaurant. So I hope that they can open up again. Uh, well, my my favorite vineyard on Ischia is called Casa Diambra. Uh, with the wonderful Diambra family. And I was the same when Ischia had that terrible disaster. I called them to make sure they were all right as well. I think Ischia touches I've been there. Yeah. I visited Casa Diambra. They have, you know, she, 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 she's lovely. She's perfect. Wonderful Paragulumo there. <laughs> yes, well, Sarah, Sarah and Lucia. Yeah, exactly. Sarah and Lucia, yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot thank you enough for such a joyful conversation and, um, you know, really digging into some of the nitty gritty that is affecting women in our industry, you know, not only in countries where, you know, the wine industry is, is just sort of finding its feet again after thousands of years, but all over the world. Um, and I'm so impressed at your ability to connect these women and your open spirit, obviously given to you by your father, uh, to embrace everyone and welcome them all so i i hope to be a a very happy attendant at the third expo in london in may 2023 thank you so much for joining us today thank you for having me and thank you for your time and thank you for the for listening you're very welcome
Thank you for listening, and remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.